You're listening to Speaking of Stories, a podcast where authors meet to talk about themselves, their books, and their view on different parts of life and society. In this episode, we'll hear from Denise Rudberg, Swedish author in detective fiction, known for her crime stories in the upper-class environment, with features such as power, money, sex, and decadence. She even has her own word for it, elegant crime. There's no way that this man will stand up in court and say, hey, I'm the guy with the little penis. And Caroline Kepnes. Based in Los Angeles, her popular thriller, You, about obsession, love and crime, has received a lot of positive feedback. For example, from the king of horror himself, Stephen King, who called the book hypnotic and scary. Oh my god, you know when you're in it and it's flying and you feel great and like almost, to me it's like what I imagine those crazy drugs to be like, of hallucinating and feeling yourself to be in another world. I love that feeling. These two ladies met at the Book and Dreams event in Stockholm, Sweden recently. And now, it's time for another catch-up. Hello and welcome to Speaking of Stories. My name is Denise Rudberg. And I am Caroline Kepnes. Chapter 1. Caroline wonders why she doesn't have seven hands. And Denise on why she wants to remove the letter K from Chick Lit. So Caroline, maybe we should start with describing our surroundings since we're actually not in the same room right now. I'm on my sofa with my coffee and... This is going to be the most asshole California thing I ever said, but it's so nice to be back here where it's warm, because in Vegas it was cold, it was like 50 degrees, which means you have to wear a coat, so I'm nice and warm and cozy. Oh, poor you, you have to wear a coat. I'm sitting in the studio right now with a with a really, you know, thick hat and, uh, you know, the scarves and everything. You have to wear like three coats in Stockholm. So the Californian lifestyle seems a little bit better, I think. It's easier for sure. But you have all that, I don't know, that beautiful scenery and those beautiful streets. I loved it there. I loved walking around. Okay, so what do you what do you feel about Stockholm now when you've been away from here for like a couple of weeks now? I miss it. I mean, I love the I really did love the energy of the people and something so bright about it and so quick and everyone was so quick-witted and so warm and so direct and I love that energy. I really love that walking around. I mean, I cannot get enough of that. I want to go back and just like walk and walk. I saw that there's an airline that's doing $100 trips to Iceland this summer. And I'm like, ooh, like I can get to Iceland. And then now I know it's right there quick. So yeah, I exactly. Want yeah, you should. Yes, because and, and even when we, the event we were at, I mean, you could feel the exuberance for books. And that just that I, I love to feel that I just it was exciting to have that experience to go to a country and be kind of tapped right into all the book people like that. What a dream. Talking about writing, what was the actually, you know, how did you become a writer, first of all? Um, I think I've, well, I've always written and I've always thought that I just am a writer. So I have to find a way to make my life allow me to to actually get paid for it too so that was on my mind from a pretty young age and I always thought I just want to work in a short story factory where you just sit and write short stories all day but they don't have those (laughs) they don't (laughs) probably don't have them in Sweden either (laughs) (laughs) so I went into journalism and I had a great journalism teacher in college that was she was like the one of the hardest teachers I ever had I had a great fiction writing teacher so I kept doing both of that in New York and writing and then on the side writing short stories and writing scripts and 
just putting my work out there. And I'm a big believer in that because I think every time you hit send on something you wrote, you learn something even before you hear the criticism. Yeah. Because you, it's like when you get into the taxi, you're like, oh, like, I don't need this, you know, this ring. Like, No, exactly. And it's just so weird. Just you, when you push the, the send button, you just, you just know everything. You do, yes. Yeah. And there's no way around it. Like, you can send it to yourself, but then you know nothing. But it's pretty interesting, though, because we both actually studied dramatic writing or, you know, creative writing in New York. Yes. And we, <laughs> none of us is, is native New Yorkers. No, but don't you think, like, I, that was where I always wanted to go. I mean, from growing up, every movie, I thought, oh, New York is where you go if you're a writer. And it seemed like such a no-brainer to me. I lo- And that city makes you want to write all those coffee shops and, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's so welcoming for that kind of, you know, that kind of dream just hugs you when you come to New York. Oh, it does. Yes, yes, yes. And you went and you went to college there, right? Yeah, I went to NYU. Uh, so I took you this, uh, I went to this uh, Tisch school uh, for a bachelor degree. The, the only weird thing for me, though, was when I went to New York, I learned the creative writing process in a different language than my own. I mean, that's a pretty, you know, odd experience. But it was pretty good, though, because, you know, the story was the only thing I have to keep on. You know, it was the only thing I had yes, to... Yes, you know, the story was in charge and the motivation. Exactly. And then for me also, my other drive has always been, like, whether it's watching people or reading about people, I I am just obsessed with humans on the most basic level, and I always love studying psychology, and I'm so interested in what makes people tick and how our minds work. So that's something I'm always doing in fiction. And yeah, in any in anything I write, that's always my main drive. Like, how is he letting himself do this? How, why is she doing that? <laughs> But you told me when we met, actually, a very interesting thing. You went to this summer class. Tell me about that. I was in high school and I took an intelligence test and I did well on it. And they let me go to Yale for four weeks And it was a very intense psychology class when we mostly did case studies and reading and learning. And it was exhausting. And we were trapped in this dorm and not allowed really to do anything else and go anywhere. And I loved it. I mean, I've never been so like just tapped into anything in my life. And it was my first time away from home for that long and just writing and reading around the clock and discovering Viverin, which is just caffeine pills. But oh, my God, (laughs) that was my crazy high school drug. And um Then it turned out that afterwards they kind of disclosed that it was actually an experiment on intelligence where they that intelligence test uh, it was based on the hypothesis that you're either you either have primarily creative, analytical or practical intelligence and that if you put a creative person in a practical classroom they won't do as well as if they're in a creative and so forth but they wouldn't tell us how we tested like what you know because the test hadn't been regulated but i mean i don't know that experience i feel like that just sums it all up to be like whoa i was in a psychology experiment locked in that dorm and didn't even know it and i learned all this and yeah i was so sold it was just amazing and writing those case studies was a lot felt a lot like writing fiction but then when i got to college i would always go to statistics class i can't even say the word i don't like it so much and i was like i can't be a psychologist because i absolutely cannot do not want to do this like i would look at those graphs like i can't that those those will change those graphs did change my life because i feel like if you didn't have to do statistics i for sure would have been a psychologist but i can really tell you know when you when you actually read your book the you for example it's a uh, it's so really shows how much you are into the psychology. What would you say is the most complicated thing about the profession of being a writer? For me, the way it lives 
lives in your head. And I know that you, I don't have children, and I know you do, and that always fascinates me because I, without having children, like I feel like, oh, I can, I can allow this to just be the primary thing on my mind. If there's something in a book I'm trying to figure out, I just feel obsessed with it and distracted by it. And I'll try and, when I also write a lot, then I try and take time to, I call it humaning up, like to go out and be around people and be a normal, like go to Vegas. But then like in Vegas, half the time I was in my room writing, I'm like, what is this? Like, it, and it wasn't out of like wanting to, it was like, oh no, I felt like I figured something out and I had to do it. So I think the hardest thing is when, is just figuring out how to balance your life with it, with mm-hmm. writing. Mm-hmm. When for me, like, I'll feel like I live part in the book and I, it feels so different. And then also, contrarily, when you contra, oh God, when you can't come up with what you want to say, and that's a whole other animal, when there's that writer's block feeling. But I've, I'm, since I'm in the other one right now, I feel more like where I'm like, oh, I want to write the whole book at once. Like, I can't sleep because I, I know what happens here. I know what happens there. I'm making notes on my phone. I feel crazy. Like, why don't I have seven hands? You know? Yeah. So, so what do you do when you get the writer's block? When I get writer's block, I read and I watch TV. And I tend to read like things that are just violently different or um, Philip Roth, anything Philip Roth. He's just one of my favorites, I think, probably because there is so much psychology in there and it Mm -hmm. kind of relaxes me and makes me feel like, okay, well, he did this. So whatever, like, (laughs) it doesn't matter what I do. (laughs) I tried to describe this to my to my partner and I said, it's like like a guy if you had sex with with this girl and you can't get it up. When you're afraid of being impotent, it's like being, it's the same thing with writer's block because you feel like, you know, maybe I actually lost it this time. Maybe this is the time when I will never have going to be able to write another word again. Oh, yeah, that's that's the that's the thought that I just right away banish because that is the big one. What are the most rewarding parts, though, for you? I think the opposite, like in a personal, selfish, sitting alone way. Oh, my God, you know, when you're in it and it's flying and you feel great and like, almost to me it's like what I imagine those crazy drugs to be like of hallucinating and feeling yourself to be in another world I love that feeling and what I love about that too is that it's the ultimate inflow in the moment where I've cut a lot of those parts out I mean that's just how it works out that sometimes I'm like oh how could it be that like when I was writing this I was like I'm the queen of the universe and after it was like oh no like I was having fun but so I love that high and I feel like chasing that high is a big part of it And then um, with other people, there's just nothing like hearing from people who read the book and tell you that they thought it was a gift and that it moved them and that it excited them and entertained them and made them think. And I love that so much. I think that's that's what drove me to write so much as a child and reading Judy Bloom's books and just wondering, you know, who she was and how she made this all up. So I love kind of making contribution that's going to. It's going to sound sick, but I always think I'm going to be dead and these books are going to be here and maybe someone's going to be reading them. Like, that's amazing. It's like storytelling is just, I'm, I love it. I love being a part of the storytelling world. So, Denise, um, Sweden is known for its gender equality, but tell me, how's it looking when it comes to authors? Do you feel that there's a lot of equality between the men and the women? We haven't done so much there yet. Uh, yes, you know, the younger I was writing in before, I skipped to to the more mysterious writing that I call elegant crime called is called chiclet uh, and just the whole phenomenon that you actually put a word on a book and say this is for chicks it's just weird because when a young man writes about you know having a lot of sex getting drunk a lot and then go out and think he's a rock and roll star and visiting nightclubs then you see the you know 
the title is like a, gener- a novel of a generation, the voice of the generation, which I, you know, and if, you know, a woman, a female writer do the uh, same thing, it's, a, it's called Chiclet. So that's why, you know, I have a kind of a problem with that. Um, so I think that's one of the things. And, uh, and also it's regarding the cre- creative process, I think, you have a lot of expectations about the big man, the the big you know creative genius, and they are you know allowed to get drunk, you know, not so proper places, and you know scream and get wild and skip the deadlines or whatever. Yes. Yeah, all that. And when it comes to the female writers, you have to be on time, you have to be proper, you have to be the good girl, uh, and that's I think that's still hanging on quite a lot in the business. Yeah, there's some people get mixed up that I always want to say, no, 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 you're thinking of a librarian. Like, she's the one with the buttoned-up blouse with the glasses holding all the books. Like, that's not a female writer. No, no, I no. mean, unless that's your style, that is. But, like, no, 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 that's very different from a writer. And, and that, that's kind of a myth that is pretty hard to, you know, to get rid of. Do you encounter that on a regular basis or, like... Yeah, I do that kind, kind of all the time, I think. <laughs> I think everybody's getting pretty tired of, you know... But I think it's you have to do it because you also have to inform the business that is this is not appropriate anymore. And I think even using the word or the genre chiclet is you know not something that we should allow anymore. I think it's uh, I'm, I'm trying to suggest that we actually skip the the last letter the K so we have it like a chic lit literature yeah. instead. I think that's more appropriate. Mm-hmm. Or maybe this is crazy, but they could just call it a book. I know. That's so weird, though. Yeah, I know. You're crazy, Caroline. (laughs) Chapter 2. Denise on what happens when one has a white social media month, and Caroline on how the heavy use of new digital devices will change the way humans look. Well, eventually. Now, tell me, I love this phrase, elegant crime, so much, so I'd love to hear more about that. And about making that change from, as they say, fiction to elegant crime, what reactions did you get from your publisher, from readers, from your family? Actually, my, my publisher was kind of weird at that moment. He told me this, ah, no, nobody's want to you know, read about this woman. She's 55 and she's a widow, uh, newly you know, widow since like a couple of months ago. Who would want to read about her? Just an you know, old lady, sort of Miss Marple style. I said, you know, but... If you're 55 today, Madonna is 55. She's not this old lady. Um, I think Madonna gets laid, for example. I mean, I think when I I told about, you know, this uh, elegant crime theme that nobody could really expect what I was, you know, what I wanted to do. And I, the whole thing about putting it in the upper class environment was, you know, kind of expected from me because I was writing about the upper class society in Stockholm for like six novels. So that was they were pretty okay with that, but the whole thing with a fifty-five-year-old widow as a lead character was kind of you know strange for them to accept. But then they actually realized that all the readers that this is what they wanted. So regarding your your novel, though, you for example, you are indulging the social media. You can say, what is your you know hold on social media? How much do you use it? Um, I use it. I feel like it uses me. <laughs> Sometimes where yeah. I, there's just so much of it, you know, and I use it every day. I, I 
I'm trying to like find the right balance, but I love it. And I mean, of course my book came in part from my using it so much of like, what is this? What is, I'm fascinated by the way we've all just kind of casually let our lives change because I'm at, I'm old enough to remember being in college and having none of this. And I think about it all the time. Like, what was I doing with my hands? What was I, when I liked someone, like, what did I do when I couldn't look them up on Facebook and Google search their name to see if there were, and, and I've become so good at Googling that it, it does scare me. And I'm, I've always had that instinct in me. And I mean, that's part of where I liked being a reporter. Like I do like investigating, but it's so strange the way we've become a civilization of little private investigators. Yeah, I know. And I cannot think about it or talk about it enough that, that the way that in 50 years there will be an impact. Like there can't not be neurologically just because even in the simplest way as animals our eyes are pointed downward so much more than outward and on so many levels it it just fascinates me and then that you can talk to someone online and feel like you know them like my father he was sick for a while and that's part of that was part of where I came to write the book but Mm -hmm. he'd always been adamantly anti-technology and he was you know Mr. Record Player and like only talk on the phone why would you ever send someone a text message it blew his mind yeah and then as he got sick and he started playing scrabble online he was like okay well this isn't so bad then he was discovered that you could message people on scrabble he was like oh i'm a pretty good writer this is fun then it was oh the music on youtube you can watch all of monterey pop and find every obscure song you've ever Mm -hmm. heard of like so it's like anything like it's so good and then it's so bad and that's where it's such rich territory for me just eternally rich territory and also because it's an ongoing story like we're in it now and we can't be outside of it because it's it does change every single day you know in sweden we have like you have a white month have you heard about that a white month is when you don't drink alcohol for a whole month and yours is in january yeah exactly yeah. now you can you can choose every, whatever month you want to but still but There is also some people actually now they starting to use this white month regarding the internet. Sort of every social media, the only way how to communicate with people are actually talking on the phone or meet them in real life. What about that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> See, I object to that because I just it's like anything like a diet. Like if I tell myself I'm going to go a week without chocolate, I can do that, but it's about what happens on day eight. You know, like, so that's where it's also like, I get the impulse to do that. But then realistically, like for, you know, work and everything and just life, I couldn't do that. And then I'm like, that full abstinence, that's never healthy either. And then what, so then you sit there and obsess, like, I wonder if anyone's like, what's going on? What did I miss? What did I miss? I I don't know. That's that's what blows my mind that like, there really is no escape. And that was a big part of like the drive in my book. Like Beck to me was everything bad, every bad tendency in myself to want to like, Put on a little show on this forum, which the, that part we all have that after you post something and you're like, ew, like what exactly am I doing? Mm-hmm. I'm why am I looking for attention? Like why? What is this? <laughs> But then it's just you know it's what we do. And yeah. then I loved the idea of Joe as being someone so opposed to it and only using it as a tale for negative things. Mm-hmm. You know, you're describing Joe as a your description of you know the really pathological controlling guy is superb how did you find this um very very slowly i mean i knew i started with the idea of the way you feel when you go into a shop and that you've stepped into someone else's territory and i always think i'm just an oversensitive paranoid person and i've had that experience like where i walk into a store and feel like i've invaded someone's privacy Mm -hmm. and it always blows my mind the Mm -hmm. way you can walk into somewhere like and someone just says oh hey have a good time or they smother you or they glare at you or then they judge you and I think about that a lot so it came from that and I just 
went with that instinct and wrote the first few pages over and over and over again and changed a line here, a thing there, and then getting into the pop culture, I loved the idea of him as the ultimate consumer and that he would therefore, because his life as a consumer is so important to him and it's those are his where his heart lies, like in his movies and his books, mm-hmm. and he feels like the keeper of all of this. So somewhere throughout his life, human life became that way to him too like that he would discard a book the way he would discard a person now also you're describing the line between when he's first getting just extremely fascinated by her and then when the when the line crosses and he's becoming truly obsessed that was also born of that idea of the internet is allowing us and it allows us to be to indulge everything and in that way we can all be like little four-year-olds without parents around that we could eat whatever we wanted all day long Mm -hmm. like he just goes down that wormhole and when we do it like i feel like oh i'll waste an hour reading about the gates of hell in turkmenistan for no reason like obsessively you know finding some guy's blog who went there and then reading everything about him and what he had for breakfast and this and that and that and then i stop and then i'm also not going out and kill anyone and it's kind of But that experience that's so new, that's so the opposite of being in a library, you know, mm-hmm. 20 years ago where you yeah. physically would have had to go to the card catalog and find the book. And it's like it used to be so so much labor involved in learning. Yeah. And now that it's it's all at our fingertips, that's what interests me. And him with it, like getting his if what if your heart got left and in, got involved in that, too? That's where I. Yeah, it's, it's scary. Chapter three, creating evil characters not worrying about ever getting sued, and changing clothes with Madonna. You were also very good at writing about just creating these mean characters. Yes. I love that. <laughs> You're very funny when you do that as well. You must have so much fun when doing it. Oh, it is a blast. Yes. I just today, someone about my next book said that, you know, specifically said that it was so much fun. I, I love getting into the nitty gritty of people who are petty and miserable and how it always comes down to them just being unhappy in their skin and that's where it always it's so much fun to make up these people because at the end of the day if i feel like it always starts in a negative like ugh, your awful place and then comes around to oh god you sad person you know yeah (laughs) and denise so you know you you're no stranger to this either you have so many deliciously bad people and how does it make you feel when you're writing them and Do you enjoy writing them? Yeah, I do. That's when I had the most fun in writing, actually. I know my ex-husband told me, like, you're the best. <laughs> you're you're as, as your best when you're mean. <laughs> yeah. Oh, see, that's nice. <laughs> yeah, I took that as a very good compliment. I'm good at being mean, I think. Uh, and also, I think, uh, of course, it's kind of, you know, having the control. You're sitting, you know, with the control panel, sort of playing God, of course, Um I'm I'm pretty good at you know describing the every character's weakness. Uh, that's one of my skills, and uh, and I actually do that in real life as well. But I don't use it as, against other people. But I can always tell you know this is this person's weakness. I'm not, of course I'm you know I can see the good good shit as well. But you know the, especially the weaknesses is uh, I think that's kind of a special. You can actually smell it sort of. Uh, and what comes for like do you start? With uh, thinking about a weakness, and then does the character come from there, 
or is there or is there any science or method to it at all? I actually just have the character right in front of me, I think, and I think they always most of the time they start with another you know person I actually know in real life, of course, and I see something from that and I take fragments from you know the character's moves or way of talking or whatever or something I just you know felt like this was just uh, something I have to pick up. And also because I, you know, sometimes I'm just mad at somebody, and I just think I, I, I have to, you know, get rid of get rid of this, or you know. And then Denise, when you you have these awful characters, what kind of a response do you get from readers when and how do you what's what's your response? You know, what's your answer to that response? Yeah, I, I know what you say. Uh, I think I, I'm pr- I think I'm pretty good at you know making them pretty likable though. You know, you you have to do them. You can't do them just black and white. So, if you have a guy who's actually you know raping girls, it's not just a monster. Of course, he's a monster, but you cannot you know only describe them as a monster because it's it's not the truth. You know, if you find this guy, you or this woman who is you know having doing these evil actions, they they won't be truly evil. Right way through, it's, it's nobody is just evil, or you know. I think it's uh, I think it's very important that you describe the gray zones. And then, do you find people like do do you feel like people read them and are conflicted by that and enjoy that reading experience, or do they only do they want them to just be bad? No, I don't think so. I think they want to you know have both sides. I think that's pretty one of. But it also. It depends, you know. If it, it's if you talk about the rapists, of course, it's you know you describe them in in some different ma- way of manners. But if you describe just just a you know funny character who is mean, then most of the readers really enjoy you know, reading about this you know mean and stupid character. I think it's funny though how some some readers react because it, there was this guy who he thought he's you know I'm the guy in the book, and actually my <laughs> my teacher in dramatic writing at NYU. He always told me that you don't have to worry about getting sued in in the US at least, but even in Sweden it's the same thing. Like there's no way that this man will stand up in court and say, "Hey, I'm the guy with the little penis," yes. <laughs> <laughs> because nobody will, you know, claim to be the bad character. But this guy who thought he was one of my characters, he was, you know, this really James Bond type. It wasn't. Wow, it wasn't correct either. To you or saying this to your face? Or... No, he was just bragging on parties, and I heard about yeah. it. Yeah. Oh my god! Wow. That's... <laughs> and I, I, I actually never met him, so it was really funny though. And you know, then he'll wind up in one of your books in a different kind of way. Yes. <laughs> the guy with the little penis. Yes. <laughs> You are just in the head of, you know, publishing uh, Hidden Bodies, right? Yes, 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 yes. Is it out there in the U.S. now? It's um, it's so confusing. It was, It's out in the U.K. It was out last week, and then it's out in the U.S. in five weeks. Oh. And then it's out in Sweden this summer, I think, May or August. I'm not sure yet. Oh. And then... On for, and then I think it's in the Czech Republic soon. Yeah, my head is spinning a little bit. And then you just came out in Japan the other day. It's I mean it's the good kind of spinning. It's just it's exciting. And we are still meeting Joe. Is that correct? Oh yes. This I see. I the first book for me it was really a, a, just a, about obsession and the idea that he can't have what he wants and that even when he does sort of get back to be his girlfriend, you know, he's checking her phone. He's not in it and he doesn't trust her. Mm-hmm. So right off the bat, I didn't want to tell the same story again. I didn't want him to. Ju- I wanted him to grow. 
So we start off with him and he has a girlfriend and he's kind of walking around and he's buying flowers and he's on cloud nine and she doesn't use any social media. And then, of course, things do not go his way. So he winds up moving to L.A. where he thinks that she is. And then he gets himself another girlfriend. And the main theme in the book is aspirations where he gets here and he can't get over the difference between L.A. and New York where in L.A., like, everyone wants to be something that they're not, and they say it, and they announce it. And Joe being so insecure and coming from such a different background where he's afraid to admit what he wants, mm-hmm. coming to this place where that's the way of the world, and it's okay to say, I'm a waiter, but I want to, you know, I think I look like Ryan Gosling, and I think I can win an Oscar. And th- I, this, this book was so much fun to write. And then, of course, the you know, challenging, but... I'm so excited for it to come out. Yes. So what in the long run, what do you expect from uh, this year, though, 2016? I'm so excited about this year. I'm going on a little book tour in America here. And then in April, I'll be at the Los Angeles Times Festival of Books. And then in May, I'm going to Crime Fest in Bristol in England. And then I'm going to Harrogate in July. And there are all these trips. And I'm determined to come back to Sweden. And this year, I'm like, oh, wow. So it's exciting to kind of be in 2016 and have so much to to look forward to, especially when things have been so bleak where every day a rock star dies. Like, yeah. Sorry. (laughs) I know. I'm sorry to make it. I just, it is like a slaughter. I'm writing two books right now. So that's been a good experience where I I dive into one and they're very different. Mm -hmm. One is a, you know, a kidnapping, switching perspective story. And it's very dark New England, like what's going to become of these people. And then the other is a dark comedy about a publicist in L.A., So it's, I don't write them, like, it's not like in the morning I write this one and the night that one I tried to do that, that didn't work. So now it's like, I live in one for a month and then I take a couple weeks and then I go back and live in the other. I'm actually on the same kind of project. I write two different books at the same time. I I actually started with that a couple of years ago and I actually enjoy it a lot. One of the books is uh, uh, three girlfriends uh, around 22, 23. And then the other one is my, you know, my usual uh, Uh, elegant crime novel with the, the 55-year-old widow. So, and I, Okay, I have to ask you, this is random, but mm-hmm. I, at the Books and Dream event, I was so, <laughs> to not be able to hear was so frustrating. And I was like, you are the most dynamite, dynamic speaker. And at one point, you were telling the story, and I mean, everyone, it was like being in a comedy club. And I'm just, <laughs> and I don't know if you can remember, and I know that high of like when you're up there and you're in it, so you might not know. But do you remember telling a story that like, where you were laughing and everyone was laughing? And I mean, I was just like, oh, I wish I spoke Swedish. <laughs> I actually couldn't be in the story of my bachelorette party when I was ending up changing clothes with Madonna and trying to hit on Michael Douglas and I almost puked on him instead. It was at the the VIP club, the tunnel. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. So it was some, something like that. <laughs> That's good. Okay. Yeah. I knew I was missing something good. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> But it's pretty nice to actually talk to a live audience instead of, you know, t- talking on a TV show or a radio show or something like that because when you have a live audience... They ask, you know, it stays in the room. <laughs> Maybe it's not actually, and it's probably recorded somewhere. I don't know, but still, it feels like you you can be pretty open. And right, I actually asked afterwards if it was recorded because I said something that I was like, "Whoa, I was not meaning to say that," but I, I, they said it wasn't. No, okay, so it's probably good. Yeah, <laughs> we're off the hook. <laughs> Denise, it has been such a blast speaking to you. I've been looking forward to this. You are a delight. I am so excited to have had this opportunity. 
Oh, thank you so much. And you, you're having all the, the day ahead of you, right? Yes, it's the yeah. You're you're about to go hit the town, get some drinks. I would have. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's my <laughs> having dinner. So I'm still on coffee mode. Yeah. Oh, but thank you so much. It was so nice to speak to you again. I hope you can catch up some later time as well. Yes, I hope to see you back there this summer. Yeah, absolutely. And the drinks. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Speaking of Stories, and I'm Denise Rodberg. I'm Caroline Kepnes. That was all from this episode of Speaking of Stories. You can hear all of our episodes on iTunes or via Acast. 